Let's uh, let's join Al Bat after I tell you you're listening to the Maverick, KMSU Mankato, KMSK Austin. Now we're legal, and Al has joined us by telephone today from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Golly. I've been working, uh, spent the week working at the Freeborn County Fair, and uh, Chubby Checker was there, and he was still doing the twist at 77 years old and did it very, very well. Nice. And he was a charming fella. Uh, long after the show, he was still standing outside uh, with a line of folks coming up to him where he would put his arm around them and somebody would grab their cell phone and take a picture of him with them. So it was it was quite nice. The um, headliner on Saturday night was Trace Adkins, who I just, I know nothing anymore. Uh, he's a real uh, famous country singer, I guess. And I, I felt bad for knowing so little about him. But, uh, it was a big crowd, and uh, everybody seemed to have a wonderful time. The, the weather uh, during the fair had been uh, probably unseasonably something or another. I know that because uh, the weather is always unseasonable in one way or another. But as I drove back and forth to the fair, there were fireflies just uh, lighting the way. And I think they lit the way for buzzing mosquitoes working the graveyard shift. But at night, I would hear the sounds of Katie Did singing Katie Did, Katie Didn't, Katie Did, Katie Didn't over and over. And snowy tree crickets. And to me, they're chirping tree, 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 in a way that the temperature could be estimated. If we count the number of songs in 13 seconds and then add 40, that will yield the temperature in Fahrenheit. And they're called snowy tree tree crickets because they are real pale in color. Uh, cicadas are singing during the day in an ancient Greek myth, and I forget who the fellow was did a lot of whining because there was a lot of whining in those myths and Zeus turned him into a cicada so he granted him immortality but not eternal youth and I uh, hearing um, an indigo bunting singing uh, yesterday it was kind of kind of warm and they're singing sweet sweet choo choo see it see it or fire fire where where here here put it out put it out seeing a lot of turkey hens and poults. Uh, when poults are about three weeks old, several family groups may merge to form a flock. So you might see two to four hens out there with a whole big flock of youngins. Carolina grasshoppers are common now, uh, also called a Carolina locust, black-winged grasshopper, or, or road duster is one of North America's largest grasshoppers, and it's conspicuous because of its size, colorful wings, and the habit of flying over dirt roads and other bare ground. And they're big. The male has a three-inch wingspan, and a female can be up to four inches in wingspan. I happened upon a common milkweed plant as I went for a walk that had survived the mowing of the roadside, and the plant had one teeny tiny little monarch caterpillar on it. So one milkweed does make a difference. Uh, Honeybees are fond of the fragrant milkweed blossoms, and the plants provide a good nectar flow. However, there's a little... uh, there's a kicker. There's always something. In the fine print, it says that bees can become trapped by the sticky pollen masses of the blossoms of the milkweed. Uh, seeing a lot of foxtail barley, sometimes called squirrel tail grass, uh, growing along the, the roadsides, giving them a kind of a windswept look. 
and compass plant that'll grow up to eight feet tall with its large yellow flowers, uh, grows in a lot of our ditches, and its leaves have a tendency to orient themselves on a north-south axis, which helps maximize photosynthesis. This helped disoriented settlers find their way. I also found a crab spider. Uh, this spider can change its body color to blend with the background, and it hunts by ambush. Without It works without a web. And turkey vultures, I'm seeing a lot of them, and I believe they like to be in areas with a good population of deer because they enjoy road-killed venison. Uh, Dr. Mike Ekstrom stopped to visit with me, and he reported a summer tanager uh, earlier in the year that had been eating his honeybees. Uh, this red bird is a bee and wasp specialist. It catches bees in flight and kills them by beating them against a branch. But before eating a bee, the tanager will rub it on the branch to remove the stinger, and then we'll eat it. So they're pretty wise. Uh, ben and Mankato said, uh, I'd like you to talk about the world-famous raccoon that climbed the building in St. Paul. Why in the world would he do that? And also talk about the viral photo from northern Minnesota of the duck with 76 ducklings trailing behind. Yeah, thanks, man. Boy, that daredevil raccoon that became an online sensation when it spent, uh, oh, I think 20 hours about scaling that 25-story office tower in St. Paul. And uh, he was safely rescued and released back into the wild. It's I why did it climb the US or the UBS building? You know, raccoons are skilled climbers. They have strong claws. They'll rapidly scurry up trees to escape danger. And they can kind of rotate their hind feet so they can descend from trees head first. So it's normal for raccoons to climb oh, 20, maybe 30 feet even. But why this two-year-old female decided to climb up that, I, I have no idea. You know, why did you climb that mountain? Because it was there. Uh, who knows what was in the mind? I, I wish I could tell. The, the, there was a really nice thing happened about this, that the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center of Minnesota received $41,000 in donations from uh, Minnesota Public Radio, the proceeds of thousands of T-shirts bought online by fans of the social media-tagged MPR raccoon. And it was a, a spider raccoon. That's all I can say. Like Spider-Man, this was a spider raccoon. And Ben, I don't know why it climbed that. And nobody knows it but the raccoon, and it, it probably doesn't know either. It's just something it did. Uh, that common merganser with 76 ducklings, and I imagine a lot of folks have seen photos of this. It was in Minnesota. Ducks often lay their eggs in the nests of other ducks. So a female could have a nest of her own, and then she might also make her way to another nest or two of other ducks and drop off a few eggs. Scientists aren't really sure why ducks do this, but it could effectively serve as a reproductive insurance policy. So if a raccoon, maybe the one that climbed the UBS tower, invades a merganser nest and destroys all the eggs, the female still has more offspring being safely incubated in other nests. Uh, they don't believe in putting all their eggs in one basket. And it can, if you think about a common merganser, it's a pretty good-sized duck. They could incubate probably as many as 20 eggs. 
and more than that, and they would be unable to keep the eggs warm. So the merganser in that picture probably picked up several dozen ducklings that became separated from their mothers for one reason or another. Lost young birds that have imprinted on their own mothers will instinctively start following another common merganser because she looks like mom. So thanks, Ben. A couple great questions. Uh, John in New Alm said they have Scooby-Doo stamps for sale now at the post office. Uh, he said on July 24th, he drove to his dad's, and he said while in New Ulm on Broadway, a raven flew across the street. It was on South Broadway by McDonald's Burger King area. If snowy owls come from a different state, wonder why it's hard to believe that some ravens are in New Ulm. Um, John, I, boy, I'd happy, uh, i believe you if I could see a picture. Uh, and the reason I say that, that there, in history, there's never been a single raven documented in Brown County. I'd love to be see one there. So please uh, get a photo of it. Remember that crows caw and ravens croak. And ravens are quite a bit larger than crows, but uh, remember that some crows are bigger than other crows, too. Uh, John went on, said, uh, John and Noam said, my dad's hearing isn't real good, but I heard noise coming from his fireplace. Bird, squirrel, or what? Heard a bird outside later kind of making some noise, and I saw a young bird later in my dad's fireplace. My good guess is a nest of chimney swifts. I could hear a parent bird fly in and out of the chimney, and then you would hear all the young ones chirping like crazy, being fed. My guess is when bigger and stronger, they will fly out. Amazing what a bird can fly straight up and down in a small space. My dad has a grapevine. I noticed bugs on the leaves, some leaves with holes. Do Japanese beetles have green heads, copper bodies? and or all copper color and can fly and if you step on one crunch saw a bunch of them my guess is japanese beetles uh, john i boy you got it they they're green ahead and copper behind and they are uh, they're pretty beetles they found them on uh, between three and four hundred different kinds of plants now so there isn't a whole lot of things that they do not eat uh, John went on, a female turkey would stop by about every day with two very young small turkeys and a group of three big male tom turkeys stopped by about every day. Pretty sure it's because we put bird food out for them in a pan of water. And, of course, because baby turkeys and a young rabbit saw a medium to large size hawk fly into the trees to hide and wait for an easy meal. Hope they all survived the hawk and the stray cat. I wish my dad didn't have that hanging around. The cicada killer wasp nest is almost the same spot or area in my yard every year by my car. Yeah, and John, the uh, cicada killer wasp like uh, sandy or loose soil for, to dig their burrows, so that's probably the reason why they're right there by your car. Uh, Liz Betcher of Blue Earth said, Hi, Al, we need your help in identifying a raptor that showed up in Blue Earth. My neighbor sent me these photos. It was in her backyard, and I've been trying to help her identify the bird. I thought it might be either a cooper's hawk or a sharp shin. She says it's a bit bigger than a crow. And, and it looks, Liz, to me like an immature cooper's hawk. Uh, the light-colored eye gives its age away. And as Gabby Hayes, boy, if anybody remembers Gabby Hayes, the old cowboy, um, the toothless old cowboy, as Gabby Hayes might say, they do nest in these here parts. Uh, Kathy Paulson of Geneva said, I was wondering if you know what's happened with many of the evergreen trees this summer. Some of the trees have completely turned brown, while others have portions of them that are brown, and then there are trees that are next to them that are completely green. 
Uh, it's an, a severe example of winter drying, Kathy, which can affect many types of evergreens. And this year in late April, we had warm, windy days with low relative humidity that caused needles to lose moisture. And frozen soil, and then we had a kind of a blizzard, so frozen soil in the root zone of these trees prevented water from moving back into the needles to replace uh, what had been lost. So then we end up with these poor, due to lost moisture, we end up with these tough-looking trees that are brown. And, and the branches that were buried under the snow in these days remained alive because they were not exposed to the warm, windy, and dry environment. So a number of them have green bottoms. Uh, Bryce Gaudian of Hayward uh, went out to Grand Teton National Park and took a bunch of photos and sent them for me and asked if I would identify these birds for him, which I gladly did. Uh, Swainson's hawk, western meadowlark, American kestrel with a mouse, brewer's blackbirds, vesper sparrow, and a black-billed magpie, which uh, magpies heckle and jekyll for some of those that remember that cartoon. They were magpies. Ryan Shackleton spotted a lighter-than-normal red tail on his way home from work. Pat Donahue of Albert Lee said she saw a purple butterfly with a large white spot on each wing, a single white spot. And Pat, uh, boy, talk about a swing and a miss. I'll take three strikes on that one. I have no idea what that is. If anybody knows, man, let me know. Uh, Nancy Rohrman of Blue Earth, a great horned owl on a cemetery gravestone. That would be a young great horned owl. They like to perch on oh, stumps or small trees and things like that. They're just not that adept at flying yet. Tom Wensler of Albert Lee saw an owl during the day, and he described it to me, and it would be a barred owl, which is often seen during the day. Clark Hammer of Geneva uh, showed me a skeletized birch leaf in a beetle in a plastic bag and was wondering what in the world was going on there. And it was another one of our friends, the Japanese beetle. Wayne Griffith of Albert Lee said on the Shell Rock River over the winter they saw eight trumpeter swans every day spending the winter there. Susan Kennedy said the young downies are hitting the suet heavily and they, unlike the adults, share the feeder with their siblings or other birds. Fun to watch. They look a bit more ragged than the adults. Uh, Pam Pleiss of Albert Lee said there's a crow calling constantly or was calling constantly in her yard and was wondering what that was about. In June and July is often the noisiest time of the year for crows. The fledglings are leaving the nest, although they stay in trees and don't stray far at first, and they make this these begging calls to their parents and their older helpers. And after a few weeks, the fledglings will follow their parents begging on the ground, and you can sometimes see the harried-looking parents turn to stuff from some food, a worm or chunks of roadkill, bread crust, whatever they can find, into the big mouths of their babies just to shut them up. And if you see that, you will notice that the young birds' mouths are red inside, and this will change to black as they mature. The young ones also have blue eyes, which is really cool. Mary Evans of Albert Lee said took some uh, uh, monarch eggs inside, and uh, they're, boy, they're emerging monarchs uh, yesterday. So she was pretty excited about that. Doug Keezer said there were two buff-breasted sandpipers and a sanderling at the Wells Sewage Ponds in Faribault County. Both were on the south side. Buff-breasted sandpipers were on the grass, sanderling on the riprap. 
There were other birds present, like black terns, Franklin's gulls, eared grebes. Uh, earlier at Freeborn Lake, there were two ruddy turnstones amidst the hundreds of other shorebirds. Uh, yeah, they drained uh, Freeborn Lake, so there are birds galore. Denny Tustison of Albert Lee said cedar wax rings on the ground. What are they eating? Uh, they're eating insects of one kind or another. Uh, earlier in the year, there were uh, so many birds or insects around the lakes that I gave them a, a lot of things to eat. Uh, Kevin Blake of Albert Lee said he's seen more red-headed woodpeckers this year than he can ever remember, which is really very cool. Raymond Fuente said, is there anything anyone can do about a bird with a broken wing? There's a crow by a pavilion at a park under a bush with a broken wing. Raymond, it's a wildlife rehabilitation center in Roseville is about it. Uh, Frank Cooden of Albert Lee said, I took this photo well this morning on a window screen in our home here in Albert Lee. Is this a cicada? If so, will there be a proliferation of them here this year? My wife and I were in Chicago visiting my daughter a few years ago, and there was a cacophony of them in trees in the evening. Uh, Frank, it is a cicada, but uh, we don't get periodical cicadas in Minnesota like they get in Illinois and other states. And the periodical broods emerge in approximately 13- and 17-year cycles. And their numbers can be extremely high, and their singing deafening. Uh, we do get cicadas of another species here every year, but they're not as nearly as numerous or uh, nearly as noisy. Uh, David Frame described a bird in his yard, and I thought, what kind of bird is that? I, you know, I don't know. And Well, it turned out to be a dime store parakeet is what I call them as a beautiful little blue bird, uh, what they call them, budgerigars, I think is the name of them, and it comes to the feeder. So if anybody listening knows anybody's missing one, we know where there is one. Uh, Kathy Paulson of Geneva said, Daryl and I went for a drive late on Saturday afternoon to Mankato in the St. Peter area, and we witnessed a number of different areas where there were lots of birds flying around, and they were weaving here and there. Is there something that is special in regards to the change in the moon, change in the weather that would affect them, and as a result, they would fly differently and in groups of about 15 to 20? Well, most of those that I'm seeing right now, Kathy, are probably starlings uh, in shape-changing flocks. Uh, starlings roost communally, and it's believed they flock in order to see predators better find foods and, and meet possible mates. I'm not sure that adequately explains their flocking patterns, but other birds, such as swallows, are congregating on utility wires as they stage for migration. So it could be either one of those or something else. It's that time of year where birds uh, have fledged their young, so they're moving about. Uh, Tim Poulos said, John France, Chris Simon, and I went over to Amber Road in western Blue Earth County. We checked out the rapidly drying lake and counted 46 egrets. Yeah, they're, um, they've already begun their fall migration, too. Uh, Tim said that egrets were casual in Minnesota prior to the 1930s, and the first nesting occurred in Martin County in 1938. It wasn't until the 1950s that the species became a regular spring and fall migrant in the southern part of this great gopher state. Uh, Chad Hines of Mankato said, Tom Dolan and I went shorebirding at Watton 1 WPA, Pauley WPA, and the Medelia 
WIA. Polly had greater yellow legs, solitary upland, and leased sandpipers. Watton Juan had pectoral bears, leased sandpipers, lesser yellow legs, and semi palmated plover. Great egrets and lots of swallows. The WIA had coots, yellow legs, and peeps. Had three Hensel sparrows at the Lincoln WPA and a black billed cuckoo at uh, the Blue Grosbeak spot off Highway 68. Roy Zender located a nice shorebird location in the eastern part of Blue Earth County. I went down there yesterday to look at it. There were greater and lesser yellow legs, solitary spotted stilt, pectoral leased, and semi-palmated sandpipers, killdeer, and semi-palmated plovers. He said the flooded field on the south side of County Road 168 had trumpeter swans, hooded mergansers, solitary pe- pectoral leased sandpipers, lesser yellow legs, semi-palmated sandpiper, and killdeer. Yeah, also on County Road 16, there are four great egrets in a sandhill crane. Uh, Don Grusing said the second nest of bluebirds in my yard fledged yesterday successful in spite of the frequent cat hunts nearby. A few days after the first fledgling, I removed the nest from that house and cleaned it out. Also removed the unsuccessful nest of a chickadee pair in a similar house about 12 feet away. Eggs in the chickadee house were foul-smelling. The nest was abandoned, I am certain, because of the aggression of the male bluebird who attacked the chickadees regularly after the bluebirds selected their nest sites. The chickadees were there first. Wrens aren't the only bad actors. The bluebirds built another nest in the same house they used the first time. Now that the bluebirds are moving on, we can clean windows on our home, garage, and shed. This male bluebird spent a great deal of time and energy over the summer fighting his image. But perhaps that aggression was good because house wrens nesting about 80 feet away never bothered the bluebirds while raising two broods of their own. He messed up most of the windows and awakened us with his first fluttering attacks early in the morning. One quick note, there are mulberry trees and tall nanny berry bushes adjacent to our house. There has been an incredible bird traffic the last several weeks. Nothing unusual, but throughout the day, robins, bluebirds, house finches, blue jays, great crested flycatchers, and an occasional nuthatch and chickadee would exploit the food source. Squirrels, too. It's great entertainment. <laughs> hey, Al. Uh, yeah. Speaking of that, um, we have in our what is normally a screened-in gazebo on yeah. our deck. Well, we have to leave the door open because there was a pair of wrens nesting, and they had they had a brood that hatched, and you know, so so we leave the door open for them, and uh, they fly in and and feed the little ones, and hopefully. We'll have it to ourselves soon. I don't know if they're all done or not yet. I bet they are saying such nice things about you to well, the other wrens, too. They were, are... they were initially really mad at us for putting the screens up, and then, <laughs> and then I realized, oh, there's actually little critters in there. I, you know, I figured they were all done. And, uh, yeah, so we have to leave the door open for them so they can fly in and out. They figured it out, though. I give them a lot of credit for figuring out, you know, because the screens don't, uh, you know, they kind of still look like you could fly through, but of course you can't. Yep. Um, so anyway, they're they're kind of kind of smart that way. And I had a text uh, from one of our listeners asking, "How rare are Luna moths?" 
Oh, and uh, folks, Luna moths are these great green moths that are just amazing to see. Uh, I, I see fewer and fewer of them. Now when I see one, I am just so happy and amazed. It's an incredible sight. And if I could wish one thing, I wish everybody that enjoys looking at the outdoors would see a Luna moth today. Uh, so I would say they're rare, and I'm sure if we look it up, it'll say, well, they're they're fairly common. They're here and there. But it, it doesn't matter how common they are if we don't see them. Right. And Part of that is because they work the night shift where we might not be out there looking at them. But they're a giant size. Oh, I've I'm, got my thumb and forefinger apart here. So I'd say four and a half inches maybe these moths are. And they are found only in North America. And I think they're just a, a lovely thing. They don't eat in the adult form. I would guess, uh, I bet bats would eat them, so that's probably their main predator out there. But again, I'm going to say, man, that's just a cool thing. I used to get more photos from folks in the last few years. I just haven't got very many. So I'm going to say whoever saw that ought to probably go out and buy a lottery ticket. (laughs) They're having really good luck. And, uh, boy, thanks for sharing that. I should share that uh, the Henderson Hummingbird Hurrah, too, will be held in beautiful Henderson, Minnesota. And, boy, I believe I love being in Henderson. On Saturday, August 18th from 9 a.m. to uh, 4 p.m., it's free and it's fun, and it's for the entire family. Birds, bees, butterflies, and blooms. There'll be hummingbird banding. This is is so cool to see that. Wait, Uh, wait, 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 just a second. How can you possibly even hold that tiny little thing without squishing it to put a band on it. Yeah, and Gully, you should see the size of the bands that they put on. Oh, yeah, they must be tiny. It's it's like a jeweler at work. And the guy that does the banding has done this for so many years, and he doesn't harm the birds. And if nothing else, it's it's wonderful just to show up for that hummingbird banding. And I know some um, friend of mine was picturing that they were putting, like, the you know, these gigantic, like, wedding bands or something on these little birds. And he says, how can they fly with that? And I said, well, they're just, they're really tiny little things. But they'll have a bunch of educational booths and children's activities galore. Uh, there are garden tours, uh, master gardeners, and there will be speakers there, of which I am proud to be one of those. So ah. if you're over there, please uh, show up and say hi. When is it again? It is August 18th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Okay. I told a couple people about that hummingbird banding, and they are coming over there. Just, uh, I don't think they can wrap their mind around how <laughs> you can put a band on a hummingbird. So, And bring your cell phones, because you will be able to get all kinds of wonderful. And if you have a, you know, other cameras, please bring them, too. But you're going to get a lot of nice shots with just the, just the cell phone of uh, these amazing hummingbirds and the amazing people that work with them. And if you happen to be in Albert Lee, there's Albert Lee Audubon Preserve. Uh, Nietzsche said, uh, all truly great thoughts are conceived by walking. And on the end of Oregon Street in Albert Lee, it's free to it's owned by the Audubon Society, and take a walk there. The trails are all um, nice mode trails. And uh, the other thing that's going on, this goes on to October 14th, 
the uh, a friend of mine by the name of Preston Cook has uh, the oddly enough the Preston Cook collection at the National Eagle Center there and it offers an extensive look at eagles in history and culture and the collection includes fine art historical artifacts and cultural things from the 18th century to the present and there's over 20,000 items that Preston has um, collected. It's the largest collection of eagle things in the world. So um, over there, Preston is just a wonderful, wonderful guy. And uh, he and I were on an eagle board for many years, and he's from California, but has moved to Wabasha. And I think, golly, I think I got everybody in. We had a, a bazillion of fine listeners and callers and texters and emailers. And if I missed anybody, we will get you next week. Yeah. In the meantime, I hope everybody will. I hope Karen's having fun at the fair. Oh, I yeah. hope everybody, everybody will come to the cafe where the food chain is missing a few links. The special is always a Heimlich maneuver, and gravy is considered a beverage. And now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. Um, more summers than not, I stop at Kolachki Days in ah. Montgomery, Minnesota. <laughs> I like Kolachkis. Yeah, that's, and, a, that's the good reason to go, just to get some Kolachkis. And a lot of people say, what in the world is a Kolachki? Well, it's, it's a small dinner roll-like pastry that's folded, and it's enclosing, filling in the center. And I grew up eating kolaches that were open-faced, and both have origins in Czechoslovakia. But a woman working at Frankie's Bakery there told me that the bakery had made 20,000 kolachkis (laughs) for the celebration, and they're not the only ones that make them there, but 20,000. Yeah. And uh, I was telling the guys at the Loafers Club meeting this morning, and then we I started getting the news from the area. That was my news. I learned that the Minnesota Twins uh, were going to trade 1,000 fans to the Chicago Cubs for a rookie <laughs> hot dog vendor, and uh, that the Cat Obedience School uh, has closed. It's gone out of business. Yeah. A local waiter is suing his employer, the owner of a Chinese restaurant, for back injuries suffered while carrying a bowl of one-ton soup. Uh-huh. A local accountant had died and become a buried treasurer. Mm-hmm. And a farmer cried after winning the largest onion prize at the county fair. Uh-huh. So that's the news from Heartland. Remember, Heartland is well worth driving past. Uh, thanks for having nothing better than to do than to listen to me. Uh, golly, it's always great visiting with you. Everybody, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. I enjoyed your company. Yeah, I enjoyed yours too. Thanks, Al. Have a great day. I will. You too. All right. Bye-bye.